What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 158 with my guest, Melissa Stetton. This episode is sponsored by Daily Burn, your source for online workout videos featuring a huge variety of programs. Uh, for mental illness happy hour users, get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the mental illness happy hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor's office. Uh, I'm not a doctor's office. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. I am actually officially a jackass. I just got my degree in jackassery. A lot of people will double that up with a degree in douchebaggery, but I honestly couldn't uh, bear that workload. So I'm just going to get one. <laughs> I'm going to get one degree at a time. Um, before we get to some uh, uh, an email and a couple of surveys I want to read, I just want to talk about this episode this week. I recorded this one about um, about a year ago, this episode with Melissa, and uh, I re- usually record way more episodes than, than I can air, and I'll hold on to them, uh, some of them for a long time until I feel like, um, if I feel like they're airable, um, and... I've, I've held on to this one for a while because it's not a dramatic episode at all, but I think episodes like that are important to put up once in a while because I think many, many people have stories that aren't dramatic, where really the story is the absence of things in their lives. And while that may not be as compelling of a listen as, you know, um, an episode like last week with you know with Nandi's story, I think they're they're equally as important. Um, so if you're looking for an episode that is you know full of drama and uh, I, I, this would not be an episode for you, but if you're somebody who doesn't have any anything that you can kind of point to in your past to say oh this fucked me up, um, 
and if your your depression is just kind of something that is um is there and just kind of saps you um and you struggle with relationships then i think this this uh, romantic relationships um i think this will be a good episode for you to listen to um I enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it. So that's enough of my uh, that's enough of my qualifying. I guess that could be my uh, perfectionist angst moment uh, for this for this episode. Um, I want to read this email I got from a uh, a listener and uh, who calls himself I don't know. And uh, they write, uh, you read my survey answers recently on the podcast. I feel so much anxiety right now because of it. My heart is racing and I feel dread, regret, shame, embarrassment. It was cathartic to write it down, but afterwards I freaked out and wished I could have erased it. Every week I'd listen to the podcast. I'd think, oh God, what if he reads my shame and secret submission? And it happened. I used a fake name, of course, but I still feel like everybody knows, like a spotlight is shining on me, and I want to hide the bl- hide from the blinding white lights that magnify and bring into focus my flaws, my deepest secrets, all that is wrong with me. I wonder what the other listeners are thinking. I wonder what you are thinking. I don't want pity. I don't want people to feel bad for me. What I wrote is now out there and will never go away. It's permanent, and that scares me. I know I'm making a big deal about it. So many heart-wrenching and sad surveys are read. Your listeners aren't going to remember it. They'll maybe think, oh, wow, that's pretty dysfunctional. But those thoughts will disappear, tangled with the narratives of the other surveys. I also fear that someone I know will hear it, but that's unlikely because only two other people know the secret I shared. Do you ever get emails from people who have felt uh, anxiety post-podcast? Is it normal to feel this way? Um, How can I come to terms with the fact that my survey answers were read. I knew it was possible that you'd read my submission. I should not have shared it. And I uh, I couldn't write them back because they gave me a fake email address. And um, and I think it, it was awesome that you shared it. I think that's the beginning. Uh, I think that's kind of, for some of us that are afraid to get into support groups or go to therapy, that's kind of the training wheels, a safe way to, to kind of put it out there. Um, and yes, uh, I get... Um, Every week, I get an email from one, sometimes two people whose surveys were read, and um, their hearts, some of them, when they begin to hear me read their survey, say that they have to lay down on the ground and they start start hyperventilating, but many of them um, do feel that it was a cathartic release to hear somebody reading back the words that they they read, um, that they wrote, and... I I just want to say that it's normal that that I think you that you felt that way. And by the way, almost every listener that I've recorded has been nervous and second guessed themselves and I, I do that as well. After I record something, sometimes I'm like, Oh God, what did it go? Oh, can I take that back? Or um I should edit that out, or what are people gonna think about me? And I think that's part of vulnerability. That's that is the um what makes vulnerability difficult, but it's also, I think, what makes it so rewarding. So I just want to, I just want to give you a pat on the back and tell you you're not alone in in feeling that. And just take a deep breath, and it's all going to be okay. Um, this is uh, from the struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Mister Anhedonic. Now, by the way, he's engaged to Lady Ennui, um, and I don't think either of them care if they get married. 
He, uh, about his depression, he writes, uh, I was watching that Pharrell Williams happy music video with all the dancing in the street, and I wondered if those people are a different species from me. Man, I feel the exact same way when I, when I see people just being silly and giddy and giggly. I just am like, wow, what, what planet are they from? Uh, about his alcoholism and drug addiction, I wish I could feel that first warm buzz from a drink all the time. About his codependency, I don't think I can change what I'm like, but it keeps making you mad, and I suffer when you're mad at me. That's great. Um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself John Jimison, and about his anxiety, he writes, Deep, unnamed dread that tells me every day that when it catches up to me, nothing will ever be the same. That is, that is fucking deep. Um, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself M about her anxiety. She writes, Cotton in my throat and the butterflies in my stomach turn to bees. And then this is from a woman who calls herself number one fan about her depression. Nothing to look forward uh, nothing to look forward to in the future. I'm a boring, uncreative nobody and will live out my days like this. I will never change and my circumstances will never change. This is just how my life will be. I relate to that one. Uh, about her anxiety, tension in my gut and sudden paralysis. In theory, I know how to get myself out of it, yet I can't pull myself away from the tension-causing thoughts. I focus on them until my heart is racing. I've bitten off my nails or picked up my skin, and minutes or hours have passed um, passed me by in this tense, useless state of being. And about her bulimia, she writes, The anxiety gets the best of me, and food is my savior. I know I can expel the food after after, so why not give in? It often takes a few days to recover from a large binge and purge, but in the moment, none of that matters. I give in. Thank you for, for those. You know, I was talking with my my wife uh, at dinner the other night, and I was just saying how grateful I am for having this, this gig and doing this podcast because I've learned so much about people, especially about about women, the, the inner lives of, of women, and, you know, I... I didn't know that their fantasies were so similar to ours, and I didn't honestly know that so many of them um, were were predators um, or had done some, something predatory in the in the past. And my wife said, "Don't worry, you're still beating us." Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me. That it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the um, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Melissa Stetton at uh, at her place in uh, in Koreatown. Yes. The walk from my car to the apartment it was so long. I think I'm now part Korean. <laughs> I I always do this. I pick the day to come record somebody when there's uh, no street parking because of street cleaning. I thought it was Friday, which is the other side of the street. 
So it's I'm like, mother. Mm. It's all a, a part of the gorgeous experience of living in a metropolis. Um, I came across you, I think you had tweeted something about the podcast. Yeah, yeah I, I tweeted to Emily Gordon. I'm like, hey, I heard you on the Mental Pod. It was a really great podcast. And then some random person like replied to you and was like, hey, you should have Melissa on your show. Yeah. She's nuts. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so we exchanged a couple of emails, and uh, we were going to record a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was in March, I think. But your schedule was crazy. Yeah, then I went to London, and now I'm back. And now you're back. <laughs> and And then actually the second time we were going to record... You had just broken up with your boyfriend. Right. It you, was like a few days after. And then I'm like, wait, I probably shouldn't <laughs> do this. I got to wait a few weeks. Yeah. Let it soak in so I don't say anything crazy. Um, I'm in a neutral place. You're in a neutral place now. <laughs> Maybe. <Good. laughs> what would be a good place to, to talk about um, in your life that is transformative or any kind of seminal moment. Should we start from the beginning? You're from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I am from Kalamazoo. What, what was what was your home life like growing up? Brothers, it, sisters? Well, I had one older sister. She lives in Yosemite now. Uh, my parents are still married. They still live in the same house that I grew up in, which is kind of nice when I go home. It's like, oh, my old bedroom. Oh, like mm -hmm. the little tape marks from where my Green Day poster was hanging up. <laughs> Um, it was okay. It wasn't like, it, like, I'm really glad I grew up in the Midwest. Like, I'm glad I got the experience of like riding my bike around and like going to Little League games and having to shovel the snow. Um, I think there's also a, a, a don't get too big for your britches right. mentality in the Midwest that, that serves yeah. you well when you come out here. Yeah. Like I wasn't, when I was a kid, like, I wasn't thinking, oh, my God, what is my career going to be? What am I going to do with my life? I was just like, what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to ride my bike somewhere and go to school. And, like, just not thinking about my future, I guess. And I have to say, from the few times I visited Kalamazoo, it was ahead of the curve in terms of sad and decrepit <laughs> for the rest of the country. Yeah. It was run down before run down was in. <laughs> You know, it, I <laughs> what, mean, like I, the nineties. The, the yeah, I remember going there, and I think that was the first city, other than Gary, Indiana, that made me kind of sad. Like, oh, this, like this. <laughs> I apologize. Like this city yeah. lost its mojo. This city used to be like an industrial thing that had a life, and I just remember warehouse after warehouse. You know, with the broken windows, those big windows that are broken into the little there squares. There are a lot of those. Yeah, and I just remember kind of feeling like just a little sad it is i mean there are definitely parts of kalamazoo that are deserted and maybe you know, i didn't see the good part i mean downtown kalamazoo is pretty i don't know it's like a college town like in that part of the area part of kalamazoo is you know it's nice and like the suburb areas where the neighborhoods are is it western michigan that's yeah there? western yeah. Um, but I mean, all of Michigan, like Detroit and Flint, it's kind of, it doesn't have like the number one unemployment rate. <laughs> it's just, it is going downhill pretty fast. 
Great cities I mean, if you want to throw rocks through abandoned building windows. That's true. Yeah, there are a lot of, when I was in photography class, there are a lot of abandoned buildings with graffiti on them to take photos yeah. of. <laughs> like every kid in high school takes photos of homeless people in abandoned buildings because it's artsy. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it, I went to like high school's kind of ghetto and, you know, it was all right. I didn't grow up like rich or I was kind of like. I don't know, lower class, sort of. I just had, like, a small, shitty house and didn't really have any money to do anything. Had to start working when I was 15 to buy my own car. Um, I don't know, like, I did well in school. I was, like, a good kid. I never... Well, up until high school. <laughs> I mm -hmm. started skipping school all the time. But, you know, I got all A's. And my parents were... You know, they were there... They didn't really... They're physically or emotionally? They were physically there. Emotionally, I don't know. They didn't really... Like, my, when people are like, yeah, my parents inspired me to do this, or, like, I want to be just like my parents, I'm like, I didn't really have that. Not that they were bad parents. They just... They never gave me advice hmm. to do anything. So I kind of was just on my own, like, my whole life. Like, they were just there to, like... Like, I just lived in their house. Like, they were kind of roommates. Like, I just lived with them. And they, my mom would make dinner. And my dad would, like, give me money to put gas in my car. And, like, that was it. But there wasn't a sit down and how are you doing? Here's here's what women no. do. And here's no. you're becoming an adult now. And I don't even think I heard, like, I love you until I was, like, I remember the day I left Kalamazoo to move to L.A. when I was, like, 20 something like my dad was like i love you and i was like the first time really? like I'd ever really i mean when i was a kid they would say it but like it was like sad i'm like oh my god they like said i love you for the first time it was it was weird now like we say it all the time but it was just like i don't know it was weird um well i i read uh some of your blog um and some of your tweets and there's uh You, you talk about struggling with relationships um, mm -hmm. and kind of becoming obsessive with the guys that you're that you're going out with. That's me. I'll break up with somebody and then within, I don't know, days or weeks be like dating somebody else. And I, I don't like it. But, but like that. You don't like that you do that. You mean? No, I don't like that I do that. And I but I do it though. Like, it's just, I felt like, or I felt that I'm not like, wor I'm kind of worthless if I don't have a man who's interested in me. Like, I feel like worthless. I'm like, I need to have like a romantic interest or I need to know that like, there's some guy who's like in love with me somewhere. It's, it's a horrible thing <laughs> to think. <laughs> So that's how my life's been for, like, you know, all of my 20s up until, like, a month ago when I've finally acknowledged, like, oh, my God, what are you doing, Melissa? Just don't have a boyfriend. You don't need one. You need to, like, you know, focus on yourself because my life turns into my boyfriend's life. Like, I stop. Do you sometimes ever worry that you might be, like, a love addicted person um i've thought about that before and 
I mean, it's it's I, like when I'm my happiest is when I'm like, oh, I have a new boyfriend. He's really awesome. And that shouldn't be yeah. my happiest. It should be when I'm doing something or like I've like accomplished something or like, oh, I wrote this really cool blog. This is so cool. Like, I love doing this. So that's kind of my goal for the rest of my life is to make myself happy and not like rely on a guy to make me happy. But it, so, but it sounds like even though you intellectually say that's the place I want to be, that's the mm-hmm. place I'm heading towards, mm-hmm. when those overwhelming feelings of sadness or loneliness come up, you can't help but reach for yes. that, that thing. That's one of my biggest fears in life is being that person who has to like be in a relationship. So I'm like fighting to not be in a relationship, if that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only been a month, but like I, I feel okay. Like I feel more okay than I had like in the past. Where I'm like, who am I going to date now? Who who mm-hmm. has a crush on me? Who this that? So I'm trying to like eliminate that and just. Is it ever who you're interested in, it? or is it just who? Um. Well, who, yeah. Like who if, chases you? Well, it's it's. Do you ever pursue guys? Uh, that's how I've, I think I've gotten all my boyfriends. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm always the one who's like, hey, how are you? I like you. Because it's always the ones that, the ones that like you are the ones that you don't like. It's like, why are you texting me? Like, I don't like you anymore. It's the ones that you can't have or the ones that are like, that you're like, hmm, what would it be like to be his boyfriend? It's kind of like. So like a guy that. It's like a challenge. Is decent looking at a party that isn't paying you much attention. Uh-huh. Is like, oh, that's... Oh, yeah, that's how it is with everybody. That's like, the one who's the least attainable is like, the and one that you... Like, Like how, with, when, with Anthony, um, my boyfriend before James, he has a radio show that I'd been listening to for like four or five years. And he's just like the funniest person ever. And I sent him a Facebook message. And I'm like, back in like 2010... I'm like, hey, I listened to your show. I think you're really awesome. Just saying hi. And then like he wrote back like six months later. He's like, hey, I forgot my Facebook password. I just remembered it. How are you? And I'm like, hey, I'm actually going to be in New York next week. For Rick. He's like, oh, cool. Let's hang out. And so we hung out. And then I ended up just flying there to New York like every other weekend. And then I just moved there. So... I was like, I want to hang out with this guy. Like, he'd be less. So I was like, fuck it. I'll just send him a message. And like with my past boyfriend, last one, James, like I saw that he was following me on Twitter and I sent him a message. I'm like, hey, you're cute and funny. What's going on? <laughs> so I don't know. It's weird. I'm always the one to initiate boyfriends. You know, I, I can't help it but be struck by that, you know, that thing that they say, about who we choose in in mates you know usually has to do with some kind of childhood thing you know like if we're looking for unavailable people right you know generally the parent of the you know the opposite sex or sometimes even of the same sex um was unavailable and we're trying to recreate that environment but win uh-huh. but win this time do you think that's something that that maybe applies to what's going through with you and absolutely yeah. i mean it's not, I mean, my dad, he's, like, super nice, and, like, I talked to him, and he's, like, I mean, he was a good parent, like, 
they didn't like beat me or like they didn't do anything bad to me. Like they were just nice people. But it left you um, wanting something very, very, yeah. very badly. Like I never, I, I played softball for like 10 years and my parents, like they never really went to any of my softball games. Like a few maybe, they just weren't really interested or like, and I never, like I was always trying to get their attention and like I never did. Uh, I got my lip pierced when I was like 15. <laughs> That's me being rebellious. Um, so yeah, when, with the, it's weird because the guys that I have dated have all been like over 40. The past like three guys I've dated and they've all been like super outgoing and like just kind of like the opposite of me, I guess, because I'm like kind of introverted, kind of shy, not so much as I was, but I always seek, like, super, like, really strong personalities on guys. It sounds like you pick, like to pick people that you can lose yourself in. Yeah, that's, I, I sort of, lo- yeah, I definitely lose my identity when I'm with them, because it's all about their life, and it's all about mm-hmm. them, like Anthony. Is that Anthony of Opie and Anthony? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Like, like we never did anything I want to do. It was his life. It's like, Anthony, he's a big radio star. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to go on cruises. We're going to go to the casino and gamble. And like, and I was just like, oh, you're Anthony's girlfriend. Like, I didn't really, I didn't really have sort of like an identity, <laughs> like of was, my own. And was that something that felt good at first and then wore off? Yeah, it was so, it was like... It was great. So I was like dating this guy who I thought was like the funniest guy in the world. I was living with him in Long Island and just like having fun. And it was it was really fun for maybe like the first six months to a year. And then after a while, I felt really kind of lonely because I would hang out with his friends and they were all like older and we didn't have the same taste in music like we didn't. If, if we were you so, didn't like Bon Jovi? No, yes, kind of. <laughs> He's like into like 80s hair bands. Oh, there's no music I hate more. <laughs> no music I hate more. And I was like, oh, this is cool for whatever. I'm into it. Then after a while, I didn't, I didn't really have any friends in New York. Like I would fly out like Lizzie and Emily and my sister like a couple times a year and like hang out. But I was just kind of alone. Like I'd work, come home and watch TV and watch... Goodfellas and that was it I kind of missed having like going to concerts or like doing things that 20 something year olds do how how often would you say here's what I would like to do tonight let's do this Um, and have it work out um, I think the only thing that we did that I want to do we saw Radiohead at like Roseland Ballroom like, I really wanted to do that. And he's like, okay, let's go. And, like, we got tickets. And that's the only thing I can really remember. <laughs> that like. And is that a pretty pretty common pattern in all your relationships? That it just, yes. How much have you compromised who you are to please them? Can you think of some of the worst examples of you doing something you didn't want to do because you were afraid of losing their love or their attention um or or you just plain felt like you didn't i kind of with my last boyfriend james um 
we never i think he met some of my friends like once like we went to just a bar where my like ex-boyfriend james and a couple of my friends were like playing music and like drinking and like I, I like hanging out with them and doing that it's fun like he doesn't really like doing that so like when we went there i felt um like he was bored or like i felt guilty i was like oh my god he's probably so bored or like oh he doesn't want to be here so i would feel uncomfortable but we would always go hang out with his friends and that guy I got did lonely. it ever occur to you that, that that these guys, it didn't bother them that much that you might have been experiencing them? And if they were okay with that, you why couldn't you be okay with the possibility that yeah. here's a couple hours out of their life where I maybe they're not having the greatest time ever? But I don't know. I was always... Would like, your, your brain wouldn't go to that place? No, I was never... I don't know. I, I felt like like my boyfriends were like superior to me or I, don't, I just never really felt like an equal to them because well i mean the past two boyfriends like they were like really successful and they made like decent money and i was just kind of like this weird goofy model girl who's just like i don't know nobody really just around to like entertain them or like like they were kind of like the leaders i guess mm-hmm which is not a good way to <laughs> be in relationships. Like, I never really felt like an, like an equal. It was, but it was I think so imbalanced. And I think that's so common. Mm-hmm. I think it oh, yeah, definitely. so common. Especially from reading the comments on my blog about my last post. People are like, oh, my God, I'm the same way. This is what I do. Like, I just lose my identity with my, in my relationships, and I just do whatever the boyfriend wants to do. And I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. That's like my, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I feel more like myself when I'm not in relationships, which is... Yeah. So what do you think about the idea of exploring that and feeling the pain and the loneliness and going to a therapist and sharing that with them and working mm-hmm. working through that stuff instead of numbing it? Yeah, that's my... Is that your that's, goal? That's my goal. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's like my, my new thing. And it's... I know it's only been a month without like... A boyfriend, but I feel totally And are you talking okay. to a therapist currently about it? No, I have a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. um, but I will get a therapist eventually. I mean, that's just the, the mm-hmm. thought that pops into, into my head just from all the stuff that I've, that I've been through. I know when I feel the least like talking to somebody mm-hmm. is usually when I most need to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, when my first psychiatrist, I would... I would see him like every week and I'd like dread going. I'm like, I don't want to talk to him today. But after like an hour of talking, I'm like, I feel so much better. Yeah. Like, it, I'm glad I drove here and did this instead of like canceling the appointment. Isn't that crazy? That's weird. And your, and your brain will tell you that almost, almost every time. Yep. That's how, that's how powerful. I don't know if you want to call it mental illness or neuroses or whatever, but it, that's how powerful it is. It mm-hmm. paints such a believable picture that this is not going to work out this is going to mm-hmm. be a waste of time this is going to be whatever and it's almost yep. never right yeah never every time i've talked to a psychiatrist i always feel better i've never been like wow that was a waste of time or like it's always good yeah so i need to i don't know why i don't have one now <laughs> <laughs> um but as far as like prescriptions go 
I never abused them, but I've been on lots of them, like antidepressants and anxiety medication. Prescribed or just taking them on your own? No, prescribed. Adderall. Adderall. Her I, well, I was, chimed in, I was Adderall. prescribed that for a while, which is crazy that my psychiatrist prescribed me that. So I was not taking that for a while. And how did how did that work? Well, I started when I was like 23 or 24, I when I moved to LA, I just got really depressed. I don't I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Because you were 24 and you moved to LA. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what that's happened. That's a normal human reaction to suddenly uh, you're in a town that's fucking overwhelming. That's exactly why. So I uh, made an appointment with a psychiatrist because I'd never really seen a therapist. And I, uh, he's like, well, you sound like you are depressed and you should take Zoloft. And I'm like, all right, sure, bring it on. So I started taking Zoloft. And I was, it worked, like, for your mood, like, it really kind of numbed everything, which made life bearable for me. But it also made me really tired and lethargic, and I told my psychiatrist that. He's like, here, take Adderall. I'm like, what's this? Jesus Christ. And he prescribed me, like, I don't know, 20 milligrams, like, twice a day. Which now I realize people start off on, like, 5 milligrams. So I was taking this, and I'm like shaking like i was working at a gay bar at the time and i'm like uh, uh i couldn't like concentrate on anything i'm like i went back to him like this is kind of too much for me he's like okay just take you know half of the dose so that's what i was doing and for like a year i was taking that and zoloft and i was definitely addicted to it like i didn't realize but I would, you know, take it recreationally, like on the weekends. Like all my friends were like, ooh, Adderall. So I'd like hand out Adderall to all my friends. We'd like stay up, like drinking. And then one day after a year, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. And I stopped taking Zoloft and Adderall. Just like, and you're supposed to taper off these things. Yeah, and even that can be kind of Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was unpleasant. Like, I just stopped. And I, like for a month, it was like crazy withdrawal like i'd get these weird little like head zap thingies i know exactly what you're talking about yeah when like if you miss a dose of like zoloft like you get these weird you know i don't know it's like it's almost like a mild electrical shock yeah it's the weird like i was getting those and i was just sleeping like 20 hours a day and i was like so depressed and like I think that I just remember I was living at the Villa Elaine on like Fountain and Vine in this building in this like shitty studio apartment. And I was watching this <laughs> documentary called Jumper about all the people who have killed themselves jumping off the San Fr- the Golden Gate Bridge, which is not a very <laughs> good movie to watch if you're feeling depressed. And that was like the first time that I was like, oh, my God. I should just die. I'm like, I don't want to be alive. This is stupid. And it was like the most depressed I've probably ever been. And I had a boyfriend at the time where like I broke up with him. His name was James. And like I called him and he like came over and I was just like for like months. I was just like so depressed. And like I was, it just lasted forever. And then somehow I came out of it. I don't know. Would, was there anything that brought you comfort when you were depressed? Any kind of go-to? I actually, right when I stopped taking those pills, I got my first pet, which was my cat. Um, her name is Casimir Funk, named after 
was the guy that invented like vitamins or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something weird. So I got her like right when I stopped taking pills and that like that made me so happy. Like I loved her. She was like just I'm saying was because <laughs> she's not alive anymore. But uh yeah, I had her. She broke contact with you and didn't tell you why? Well, that's another awful thing that happened. She was like half Scottish fold, so she had these little ears that like kind of folded over. And she was like the greatest thing ever. I'm like, oh my God, why haven't I had, like I never really liked cats, but like somehow I just like found this cat. I'm like, this cat is amazing. And I got her and like, she kind of like cheered me up and I ended up moving like to Silver Lake and like a better apartment. And um, I had her about a year and a half. And then I was gone for the weekend. I went to Vancouver. So I was dating this awful Canadian guy. <laughs> and, I would let my cat roam around outdoors during the day and I would bring her in at night and Lizzie was actually like think there on the weekend and she's like I don't I can't find your cat like she's just not coming in and I'm like okay just leave the door open and she just never came back and I got home from Vancouver and like her food bowl hadn't been touched and like she just had disappeared since like Friday like nobody knew what happened and I was like devastated like I've never been so sad like it like my grandpa died like 10 years ago but this was like it was like your best friend Mm it's like gone and I printed out like over like a thousand signs I hung them up like every day I would go out looking for her and like putting ads on Craigslist like every day and like putting flyers on people's cars for like probably a month and it was like I was crying every day like I just couldn't go to work it was probably the saddest I've ever been. That must have been so painful. It was because she was like my pal. Like she would greet me when I got home from work and like follow me around, and she was the best cat ever. And then um, I, I actually had to. I went to a therapist again and actually had had to start taking antidepressants again because I was just so sad about my cat being gone. So then I started taking pills again. And I think I've been on them like ever since. So what do you take? I've I've taken <laughs> I've taken Zoloft, which works really well, but it makes you it turns you into like a zombie. Like it's so numbing. I was taking like maybe eighty milligrams of that. It was just crazy. Um, but I'm not taking that anymore. Right now I'm taking Lexapro and Wellbutrin, which is. Of all the antidepressants, I think it's the best combo. I've taken mm-hmm. the least side effects that I've had. Like Lexapro helps with like your mood. Well, Butrin's kind of good for vigor. Kind of helps yeah. bring a little vigor. And I've been taking Wellbutrin for about ten years. Oh, really? Yeah. And a lot of people. Celexa and Buspar. Everybody I know <laughs> it yeah. takes like everybody has taken. Yeah. Well, they, you know there are certain. Uh, antidepressants that kind of combine what Lexapro and Wellbutrin would do in one pill. Mm -hmm. But the problem that I found with those is you can't dial down to the minimum what you need of each one. So I think sometimes that's why maybe Mm -hmm. like Zoloft might make you lethargic because it Mm -hmm. might be the the part that gives you vigor Mm -hmm. might be just right, but the part that kind of numbs you out or mm-hmm. chills things out might 
might be might be too much because that's why I had to go off of Fexer. I couldn't get up in the morning. I was, I was like, taking a Fexer too for about three months when I lived in New York. Yeah. And it was it was the worst. It made me angry. Oh, did it? I would wake up just angry every day. Oh my god! I, I don't know why. I would just be like, I hate everything. Arr. I I liked how it made me feel when I was awake, but it yeah. was so hard getting up in the morning. So hard. That's it's, crazy. That's why that's why I stopped and switched switched to another one. But yeah, it's it's a frustrating dance that never ends mm-hmm. with with meds. I've taken Pristique. I took that after Effexor, and then that didn't work, and then I took Prozac, which I feel like it didn't do anything, and then I went back to Zoloft. <laughs> this is all like last year, because I was like, I give up. I'm just going to take Zoloft, because I know it works, and then I would just sleep all the time, and then I, I was taking um, Loestrin, which is like birth control pills, um, so like Loestrin plus Zoloft, like it zaps your sex drive, too. Like, it's just non-existent. <laughs> like, I just felt like kind of a zombie. And then last summer, um, I broke up with Anthony, my previous boyfriend. And then I decided to stop taking pills altogether again because I don't know why. And I actually felt really good not being on Zoloft, not being on birth control. I'm like, I feel like a real person. This is fantastic. And... That didn't last very long. I was going to say because a lot of times that's that's the uh, euphoria that happens uh, sometimes weeks or months after going off. You mm-hmm. feel even better than you did when you oh, were on them. It was like last um, like May, June, July. I was in New York still modeling. I didn't have a boyfriend. I was like, I feel fantastic. Why am I been doing my whole life? And I was like sleeping like four hours a night. And uh, but then I moved here back to LA, and I was okay for a while. And then I met my uh, boyfriend James, and we started dating. And then I got really depressed again, like for no reason. Like I should not have been depressed because like I just met a new guy. Like we were in love. I was like I booked a commercial. I booked a movie. Like I was doing really well. But I would just wake up and. I would start crying. Like, I wouldn't get out of bed for, like, hours. And there's just no reason for that at all. And I felt my poor boyfriend, like, he was home writing every day. And I would just be in bed, like, just depressed and crying. He's like, well, what's wrong? Are you Like, he didn't know what to do. He's like, you need to see a psychiatrist. I'm like, okay. So then I went, and he gave me Lexapro and Wellbutrin. And, like, literally within a week, it was better. Like, mm. instantly. It's crazy. Like, I was just a completely different person. So, that makes me believe that I really do have, like, a chemical imbalance in my brain that just cannot be solved without pills. <laughs> I just I just know that there's something really wrong in my brain. <laughs> it, can, it can be a really life-changing thing to get to the point where you surrender to the idea that mm-hmm. you might that you might need meds for yeah. for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and i'm i'm kind of glad that that i did because i see so many people that that they take that option off the table and they right. want to try to do it on their own and and that can be for certain people that can be its own kind of insanity i'm not saying everybody needs meds mm-hmm. i think some people um talk therapy might be enough to to work yeah. through what they're what they're going through or support group but for some of us yeah, I've tried talking 
to psychiatrists and I just I'm just not not good at it or like have you ever gone to a, a therapist as opposed to a psychiatrist no I've only been to psychiatrists and I really recommend going to a therapist because psychiatrists are, in my experience are not that great for talk therapy no they just talk about like medication or like yeah. they're not very and I did start seeing a therapist I saw her twice and I just didn't want to talk to her. I was just not into it. And she's like, so tell me about your life. I'm like, I don't want to tell you about my life. Like, it's just too complicated. <laughs> There's just too many things I need to tell you. Like, it's overwhelming to me. What were the things that you felt like you didn't want to talk to her about or were too complicated or overwhelming? I feel like there was just... She's like, okay, now tell me about your life. I like, had to start from my childhood. I'm like, okay, well, my parents did this and I grew up not having... People love me and blah, blah, blah. I've just, and I felt like she just wouldn't understand for some reason. I just got that vibe from her that like she grew up like with a great life and she's like wearing like fancy clothes and like was really pretty. And I'm like, you have no idea <laughs> what my life is like. I'm not even trying to explain it to you. But that's just me being like super judgmental. <laughs> have you thought so, about going to find somebody else? Yeah, I have. Like yeah. I've, like I know I should. I just, I haven't. I don't know. Some days I'm like, I don't need a therapist. I can deal with this myself. And other days I'm like, what am I doing? Just go talk to somebody. Eventually. I will. I don't know. I did start doing meditation. Does that like, help? Yeah, it helps a lot. It's called mindful meditation. My ex-boyfriend actually had been doing it for a really long time. He's like, I really think you should do this. It would work. So I started doing that like a few months ago. And I feel like that is like, it's like really helped. It's like I kind of recommend that to everybody <laughs> to do that. Do you feel like it helps you just be more present? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it does. Like, just to accept who I am instead of, like, I need to be famous before I'm 30. Or, like, that's my whole fear is, like, I need to do something before I turn 30. I'm, like, obsessed with that. How old are you? 29. And what do you, what do you feel like when you're in that moment and you're believing that? that myth mm -hmm. what do you think that myth is going to give you absolutely nothing <laughs> i mean you feel like you'll be safe if you're famous because then you won't have to worry about money or not necessarily famous but like having a job or doing something that that's not modeling because i feel like there's a time limit on being a model and I didn't think when I was like being 25 or 26, I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be doing this when I'm 29 or 30. Like, I just can't. Like, that just sounds awful. But here I am. <laughs> but I'm just accepting it more. I'm like, it's not that bad. Like, it's, it's a job and I'm working towards, you know. Oh, you know what that sound means? It's time to give our sponsor a little bit of love. And uh, one of our sponsors for today is uh, Nature Box. And I am enjoying the fuck out of their tasty treats. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to swear, but I got a little excited there because I got a box, uh, actually a bag, um, all the bags come in a box, uh, of blueberry nom-noms. Um, they're mini blueberry-flavored oat cookies, and they have a little, just like a little hint of, um, uh, like, lemon zest in them, too, and they're soft in the center, and they're just the perfect size when you when you just want uh, just a little taste of heaven. I'm wearing angel wings right now as I as I look at these. They're so good. And, and Nature Box has 
a gazillion different snacks, some sweet, some savory, um, and they're they're smart snacks. They're they don't use art- artificial ingredients, no high fructose corn syrups. Um, they're delivered right to your door. You can get them in a variety of sizes. And if you visit naturebox.com slash happy hour, you get 50% off your first box. And it lets them know that uh, you guys support me. And it also means that maybe they will uh, sponsor another show in the future. And maybe that means that I will be able to support myself doing this and I won't be homeless, and you won't have to look at my toothless smile when you drive around downtown. And I'm living in a tent doing the uh, the podcast through an AM radio. I don't know how that would be possible, but uh, just go with me on this, this flight of fancy. Anyway, they've got a huge, huge amount of snacks. Please uh, support them. I love their... Um, they're snacks. They're they're great. And um, yeah, go to naturebox.com slash happy hour and get 50% off your first box. want to also give some love to our, uh, our sponsor, Daily Burn. It's a really cool website that has a huge variety of uh, online workout videos. Um, you can access them by um, style of workout you want, length of workout you want, whether or not you want to work with or without equipment. Um, you can even select them by a trainer uh, you like. Uh, you could. I wonder if you could even filter it out so that a trainer you hate doesn't show up. I'm going to ask them. I'll get. I'll get back to you on that one. Um, huge variety of programs from Tabata to interval training to yoga, and you can access your workout from anywhere across multiple devices like Roku, iPad, iPhone, and soon PS3 and Xbox. And just for mental illness happy hour users, get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. That's dailyburn.com slash happy hour. I think we all know how important um, physical fitness or at least regular exercise is to mental health. I would be fucked without it. So dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. What do you want? What do you want more of in your life? I like writing. That's my favorite thing to do. Writing and being funny, and like if I could just do that the rest of my life, I would be totally happy. I mean, which I am doing now. Um, I actually I met with editors a month ago about writing a book, and I'm working on that. And I mean, I'm, I'm in a great place like when I think about it like I'm totally like where I should be um but sometimes I just feel like I'm not I'm like oh my god like all these people are younger than me and they're like doing all this cool stuff and I'm just like I'm a model write a blog blah blah but that's what meditation helps with Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like accepting who you are and like where you are yeah where you are that's Mm -hmm. the and the, and the thing that about, I was just thinking about this this morning when I was meditating was when we're present, we notice all the little things that m- make life interesting and mm-hmm. give it detail and mm-hmm. make it beautiful. But when we're in the past or we're in, in the future, all we think about 
are big things that are either grandiose or horrifying. Yeah. And we never imagine the small details that, that make life kind of rich and interesting. Right. You think, oh, I'm going to be toothless and homeless and nobody's going to love me. Right. You know, you never think that, oh, maybe, you know, on a certain day, I'm going to meet somebody interesting at a coffee shop and we're going to have a really deep conversation and I'm going to feel like I'm connected to the universe. You never picture that 10 no. years from now. No. You picture, uh, I'm going to be infirm and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're, when you're present, there's just so much more that you can even if i think if you're in like a a situation that's unpleasant or painful there's even sometimes a place that i can go to that is comforting within that mm-hmm. within that moment do you do you ever experience that yeah like when i um i just recently broke with my boyfriend probably like a, a month ago and when i came back to la i was in london and i came back here and i was just like really depressed probably for like a few days and then like I was just meditating more and like accepting I'm like well no this is like a good thing like this is supposed to happen like I was kind of in denial for like a week about it I was like what it, this isn't we're supposed to be together forever what's going on because it was kind of like a surprise that we broke up like I was not expecting it at all um but I think I've gotten over it faster than I would have if I wasn't meditating or wasn't like just accepting it mm-hmm. And he kind of like gave me really good advice while like we were breaking up. He's like, no, it's like, this is what's supposed to happen. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, you're going to be fine. Like, you, you've you never like, you're not going to be homeless. You're not going to be like dying or so. like, this isn't like, this is the least of your problems. So like, just accept it. I'm like, okay. I'm not anorexic i would never put myself in that category and i'm not bulimic because i hate throwing up more than anything um but a few weeks ago i weighed myself and it was like 105 pounds and like that's you're five nine right yeah that's the lightest i've been in probably like 10 years that's not healthy for somebody that's five nine no it's not which i've i've gained like more weight now but what do you weigh now like 110 112 which I should weigh like 120. Um, but when I get really stressed out, like from this breakup a month ago, like it's hard for me to eat. Like I can like put food in my mouth, but like I can't swallow it. Like there's just like a weird, awful feeling in my stomach. Um, that like, I don't know, I'm just not hungry. I'm just like stressed out. Um, Another thing that's really common, by the way, I know yeah. a lot of people that mm-hmm. after a people up, either like eat a lot or they or, just or they don't, don't eat it at all. So that yeah, and it's not really like a body image issue. Like I don't like yeah, I need to stay skinny for my job, but I never like look at you know a seventeen year old who's like eighty pounds. I'm like I need to be that skinny. I'm like no, that's just awful. Like who wants to be that skinny? So it's more of like a stress related problem of not eating than it is like i look awful but yeah it's hard to eat healthy and when you're stressed out or like worrying about things and i think it's so unrelated to what the issue is that we're stressing about yeah like i'll I'll work with girls and almost always i'll feel like the ugly one like of the models even though like I went to the casting. They hired me based on my looks. I'll go there, and I'm like, eh, I'm just like, I'm just like 
the extra model here that they needed for some reason. I'm the Ringo. Right. <laughs> That's all I always feel, just because of, most because of my age or, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Bad self-esteem, <laughs> I guess. I deeply fear being pitied. And I wouldn't mind it as much if they did it silently as, as the having to experience them trying to make me feel better in a way that's condescending. Right. Um, that's why I was always so nervous when friends or people I know would come see me do stand-up because if I had a bad show, the bad show wouldn't bother me. It was them feeling like right sorry for me that that yeah. i was terrified of yeah that's uncomfortable really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um is there anything else that you that you want to share um before we do a fear and love off um no not really mine are mine are kind of ridiculous that's all right <laughs> I, I like ridiculous one of my fears is uh getting married and having a husband leave me for a younger woman. What would that feel like? That is a weird fear of mine because I I, I guess I have dated a guy who did kind of leave me for a younger girl, but he's, he's crazy. Uh, from... It's kind of weird, but like on Twitter, I like I I follow like a lot of guys who are like married or in relationships, and I'll get messages from them like when they're clearly like flirting with me or like, and it makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm like you're married. I'm like I don't want my husband to be doing the same thing. Like, when I'm married, it, it kind of makes me lose faith in people. So I'm, I'm convinced that, like, every guy is just going to cheat on. Well, you know, my, my feeling... Uh, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Was there something? No, you know, that's okay. it. You know, my feeling about that is if if you do the work in therapy, um, you're it's going to help you with, with not being attracted to guys that aren't available. Right. Because if you keep picking guys that are, aren't, aren't available, those are the cheaters. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's kind of my part, you know? too. Yeah. And I'm not saying all, all your ex-boyfriends were cheaters, but cheaters are under the category of people that are unavailable. Not all people who are unavailable right. are cheaters, but right. all cheaters are unavailable. And, and with my last boyfriend, James, like he didn't cheat on me. I didn't think he would, and I trusted him, but f- for some reason, I just, in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, he's going to leave me for somebody else. Have you ever <laughs> been the younger woman taking a man from an older woman? Um, No. No, I have not. Okay. Um, I'm going to be reading the fears of uh, continuing the list of fears from a, a listener named uh, who calls herself Aussie Guilt Girl. So you know these are going to be good. Uh, <laughs> she writes, I fear being addicted to anything, even though I'm 100% caffeine uh, dependent and a heavy smoker. 
but then I want to drink myself to death one day, but I can't because I have a horrible reaction to alcohol. I can't even binge properly. <laughs> Drinking away my sorrows always ends after the third glass of wine. I'm a failure. Boy, that was a long one. Wow. But uh, certainly detailed. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it when they're, when they're detailed. Mm-hmm. Okay, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one of my fears is, well, yeah, biggest the biggest fear of mine is getting another boyfriend and falling into boyfriend world again and losing my identity and just having that be a pattern mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. I think so. She says, I fear being stuck in a perpetual loop of what I think are going to be meaningful relationships, but always turn out to be about sex and selfishness. I always love the synchronicity mm-hmm. of... Um, and I'm not saying this one is necessarily spot on the the case with you, but so many of her fears are about relationships. Yeah. Right? And there's always this weird synchronicity between my guests' struggles and uh and the fears of the one I just randomly happened to pick. It's weird to read. Yeah, uh, most of my problems I feel like are relationship problems. But I'm trying to make them not relationship problems. It's hard to balance your personal life and your romantic life. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Your turn? My turn? I think it's your turn. Uh, let's see. I have some really fucked up ones. I have a fear of getting pregnant and then getting an abortion and then regretting it for the rest of my life. That's a deep one. Yeah, that's, that's deep. pretty deep. <laughs> uh, um, let's do one more each, and then and then go to go to loves. Um, she writes, "I fear seeking medical help or therapy f- for this horrible way I feel. Uh, what if I'm just an attention-seeking hypochondriac?" I don't know if I, well, uh, never being happy enough to stop taking antidepressants. To loves. From that bottomless pit of despair and <laughs> sadness. <laughs> Loves. I love taking photographs or like taking a picture that is creative and it has like deeper meaning to it. And it's like one of my ways to be creative. Is it, is it fair to say that, it, that there's a... A beauty or a poignancy to the photograph that you feel like expresses who you are deep inside, but don't you get you don't get to express enough, or people might not see. Exactly, <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um. She writes, uh, "I love winning an argument or discussion by using obscure vocabulary, theories, and <laughs> trivia." She would piss me off. That would piss me off. Yep. Uh, only beaten by people who uh, quote the Bible. Uh, in an argument when people use the bible to defend their intolerance of somebody that uh, there are a few things in the world that that's angering that that bother (laughs) me more than that (laughs) i love (laughs) it's so silly i love when i can quote seinfeld in a conversation (laughs) or when the other person like gets the reference yeah that's just the best thing. Do you ever. have a favorite quote from from Seinfeld? Uh, well, there's one that a lot of people don't. It's just the one where um, Elaine, uh, like when Jerry says something like unbelievable, Elaine's like, get out, and like pushes him, and yes. he kind of falls over. Like I always go, get out. Like I always just 
no one really knows what I'm talking about. I just yeah. like do it for myself. It just makes me laugh. I love those. She she did I that more than once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I I there I'm kind of that way with the Simpsons, although I haven't watched mm-hmm. it in a while. But I think my favorite moment from the Simpsons was you know, Homer does the typical thing where he fucks up and then at the end he apologizes to Marge mm-hmm. and they hug and they mm-hmm. kiss and she says, Oh homie, I'm the luckiest um woman in the world and uh Oh, I'm the Oh god damn it, how does it go? Oh she goes, Oh homie, I'm the I'm the luckiest uh woman in the world and he goes, And I'm a wonderful man <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Homer. I, I bumped into Dan Castellaneta uh, <laughs> oh. at, uh, at a comedy festival, mm-hmm. and I said, I know this is really annoying to do. You have no idea who I am. I'm just some <laughs> freak, but would you please do that line for me? And he obliged me, and I was like, you are the fucking greatest person that That's ever lived. That's awesome. Yeah, and he did it. He saw, I mean, he did it as homer he didn't like half-ass did it he did the the full-on voice and i was like thank you so much that just made my night (laughs) that's amazing um Uh, i think it's is it your turn or my oh no you you did the seinfeld one it's her turn i love smiling when i'm in public uh whenever someone makes eye kind eye eye contact with me they either smile back or look really uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) that is funny I sometimes do that when I'm just like, hey, how's it going? That's the biggest (laughs) difference I find between uh, the Midwest and L.A. is Mm -hmm. L.A., a lot of people will just walk with their head down like they're afraid that you're going to say hi, whereas Mm -hmm. like in the Midwest, people fucking smile back. Hey, how's it going? How have you been lately? Cool. Like, no clue who that person is. Ah. Yeah. People here are evil. Evil Los Angeles. Uh, One of my love... I love... Driving fast and racing cars. What's the fastest you've ever gone? Well, I last year I drove. Um, I went to Speedway in F- Pennsylvania, um, and I drove 170 miles per what? hour. What? It was in a race car. It was like a. Um, I was on a track. Were you behind the wheel? Oh yeah, definitely. I used to autocross. I used to race my Volkswagen back in Michigan. Really? Yeah, it's one of it's. I love it so much. I feel like in my. My uh, past life, I was Danica Patrick, but way cooler. <laughs> what What do you get to experience when you're going fast that you don't get in your normal life, you think? What feelings are... I, it's just the funnest... Th- well, well, I first, when I started doing it, I was the only girl. I would go to autocross... Um, like races and competitions in Michigan. Cause my, my boyfriend at the time and his friends were doing it. So I like would bring my Volkswagen, my like you know sixteen valve, ninety one GTI, and race, and I like felt so cool. I'm like I'm the only girl here, and I'm winning trophies, and I just really, and then it's just fun. It's like what's not to love about driving cars fast. I like the, the fastest I've ever gone was in the desert. I got up to I think 135 in uh, in my old car. I certainly can't do it in a Prius, but. Um, <laughs> What I liked about it was I felt like it's the closest to death I've ever been that I could control. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's strange when, when you're going around a track and you're like, I could just turn the wheel, run into this wall, and 
It'll all be over. It'll all be over. But, but because we're the one choosing to do right. it, it's like, oh, I'm going to the outskirts, but you know, I'm not being pushed to the outskirts by an earthquake or right. a health issue. Right. It's like I've. It's all in my foot. Mm-hmm. There's something really cool about that. Hello. The cat your, keeps trying to jump on you. Your cat is so affectionate. <laughs> um, this next one, uh, I'm sure, will probably piss some people off. <laughs> I love getting wolf whistled and checked out by construction workers. It's not threatening to me. It makes me walk more confidently and my day a little brighter. Wolf whistled. Is that Why, what it mean? Like, oh, oh. Oh, I guess yeah. I, I thought it was called a cat calling. I don't know. Wolf whistled. I've never heard that. I, I, I haven't heard that either. I hate that. What does it make you feel like? Demeaned? Yeah. It happened in New York all the time. When I'd be like, you know, wearing heels, going to castings. Be like, damn, girl. Well, actually, when in Hollywood, like a week ago, I was walking down and going to some club, and this guy was like... Damn, girl, that 90 pounds looks good on you. <laughs> and I'm like, that made me laugh, actually. I'm like, that's the funniest pickup line I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, but I look anorexic. Who thinks I weigh 90 pounds? Yeah, that was fun. Your turn. What else did I write down? Um, I love writing a blog and having tons of people tell me how great it is <laughs> how can you not how can you not really uh, what is the address of your blog again uh melissa was here.com yeah they should definitely check it out um she says i love oh no we did that one already I love confusing confusing people about my actual opinion and beliefs about my sexuality about what i mean when i tell a joke what? <laughs> she loves confusing people. I suppose there's a certain kind of power in that. Sure. But that, I don't know if that's something that I've ever. Uh, I don't know if I've ever. I've ever enjoyed. That. I like feeling smarter than other people to uh, to a fault where I know it fucking drives my friends crazy. <laughs> me they always make fun of me too. Yeah, and I think that comes from the fear of being dumb, of not knowing, of being pitied, of. Yes. Everybody else is in on it, and I'm not. Although I kind of have, um, kind of jealous of people who are dumb, really. You know, ignorance is bliss, sort mm -hmm. of. Like, there's, there's some people I've worked with that are, they're so happy, but, you know, they're, they're not smart. They're just like, I mean, they're kind of dumb. They just don't get a lot of things, but they're just like oblivious to all the awful things in the world. And I'm kind of envious of yeah, that. Yeah, there must be something really nice about thinking like America has never done anything wrong right. and has never fucked with another country. And exactly. that our corporations um, yep. aren't these international yeah. human stop rights reading abusers. The yeah. Um, and your cat is on my is on my thing, and I Hitler, can't see. Hitler, you're such a nuisance. She's so affectionate. Is it he or is she? It's a she. She's so affectionate. Um. <laughs> um. I don't think I have anything else written down. Okay. Um. I have fruit snacks. Fruit snacks. I wrote down as a note. I don't know why I put fruit snacks on here. <laughs> I love fruit snacks. Well, we'll end on this last <laughs> this last one that she that she has. 
Um, actually, well, I'll, I'll read a couple that that, mm-hmm. that she has left. Um, I love my puppy. He's like a little teddy bear, and just looking at him shows me what unconditional love is. I love dancing in the shower. I love good hair days. And then I love this last one. I love accidentally touching a friend's butt when we're in public. Um, You can't not say anything because that would be even more awkward. That's funny. That's a great one. That's That's really funny. Melissa Stetton, thank you so much for uh, sharing your your life and your fears and your insecurities. Thank you. And and all that stuff with me. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for braving Koreatown. <laughs> many, many thanks to uh, to Melissa. And uh, I shot, as I do when I air an episode that I recorded a while ago, I like to shoot them in uh, an email. And I like to use the verb shoot when referring to emails. Um, I, uh, I emailed her and, and she emailed me back because I wanted to know, you know if there's anything new going on. And uh, she wrote, oh, hey, that was so long ago. Actually, like last June, I think. Uh, updates. Well, I haven't had a boyfriend since my breakup with James last April, and it's the longest I've gone not being in a relationship since I was like 17 or something. Still on Lexapro and Wellbutrin, and in parentheses, my best friends. Saw a therapist a few times, but now I'm relying on meditation and yoga for stress, which is a lifesaver. As far as current life work stuff, I started writing full-time for xojane.com. By the way, if you've never been to that website, it's awesome. Some really, really great blogs and articles there. Um, They would be a good sponsor if you're listening, xojane. Um continuing uh so that was kind of uh, a life goal accomplished uh of getting a real job um and yeah that's the that's basically oh she also writes i can't remember all the crazy shit i talked about this is going to be interesting to listen to it's crazy how different i feel about life and how people changed in such a short period of time i'm so glad i got out of that last relationship but i think at the time we recorded i was all heartbroken life is pretty stupid <laughs> thank you for that melissa Uh, Before I read this Mount Everest-like stack of surveys, and right now I'm stressing that uh, you guys, for some reason, are are going to be listening uh, like under, uh, against your will and resenting me. Like you can't just turn the podcast off when you get tired of hearing the surveys. God, I'm fucking crazy. Couple different ways to support the show. You like how I mixed it up? Changed my tone a little bit there. Wipe the slate clean. Gone with anxiety, back with confidence. Uh, If you care to uh, support the show, a couple different ways you can do it. Go to the website, mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, you can make a one-time PayPal donation or recurring monthly, which means the world to me, uh, for as little as five bucks a month. I'm... Right now, uh, perfectionist angst moment number two, that little sing-songy voice that I just did. So want to go back and edit that out, but I'm going to leave it in because I'm a man. That's that's how men handle their uh, moments of uh, not being manly. Oh, God, I want to edit that out now. You can become a... You can become a recurring monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It's super easy to set up. And then if you ever decide you want to cancel it or your credit card expires, uh, you can go in there and uh, super easy to to do. But why would you ever want to cancel your monthly donation? Why? Um, 
You can also support us by uh, shopping through our Amazon search portal. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through our homepage. It's on the right-hand side, about halfway down, not to be confused with the search box for our site itself. Um, For instance, if you're looking for uh, an episode that has a certain subject matter, um, look in our search box. If you want to buy something on Amazon, look in their fucking search box. And do not conflate the two. That was a little bit of acting I did right there. You can support us by writing something nice about us at iTunes. That helps boost our ranking. Our ranking has been slipping a little bit at iTunes. The the listenership hasn't been slipping, but um, I think it's dependent on getting um, new reviews. And we just kind of plateaued with people reviewing it uh, because I think most of the regulars have done it already. So if you haven't, go give us a, a nice review. Maybe write something nice on iTunes. Maybe get off the couch and you fucking do something for once. Wow, that was... That was unnecessary, Paul. That was your fear. That was your fear rearing its head and lashing out at innocent people. No, fuck them, Paul. Come on. Easy now. Who the fuck are you? I don't know. So we're at the end of this bit. Oh, how I bail out of bits. Um, You can also support us. You know what? Fuck it. Don't support us. I'm tired of talking about that. Burn this show to the ground. That's that's my message to you now. I've turned on myself. I want you to go out and do everything you can in your power to bring this show and me to my knees. That's your marching order. Oh, let's get to the... Oh, I'm going to be speaking um, at a... Uh, I'll put this information on the website, but I'm going to be speaking at a... Um, they're going to do a screening of that PBS documentary that included me in it called A New State of Mind. And it's going to be at the... By the way, I'm rubbing my nipples right now as I'm talking. I'm feeling both of my nipples. What the fuck is this about? Oh my God. I wish there was video of this so you could see how crazy... Why? <laughs> I started talking about... I'm going to be speaking. And I went right to my nipples. And both of them at the same time. And just rubbing them. And like elbows out at like 90 degrees. <laughs> oh my God. I don't think there's enough medicine in the world for me. I'm going to be speaking at Lassen County. Um, and it is on Tuesday, the 25th. It's about an hour and a half north of Reno. It's in Northern California. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll be speaking for about a half hour. And it's open to the public. And it's, um, I believe the event itself is between four and eight, somewhere around there. So um, I'm not sure exactly what time I'll be be going on. But I'm really, really looking forward to it. And so are my nipples. Let's get to the surveys. This is, and I have the feeling I'm not going to make it through all of these. I always bite off more than I can can chew. Because there's just, I find you guys endlessly fascinating and moving. With the exception of one of you, and I'm not going to tell you who you are. This is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, filled out by um, a guy who calls himself Blue Falcon. He's straight and in his 20s. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I honestly don't know. I guess that I wasn't a total waste of space with no redeeming qualities. Actually, I think you can do one better. I think you can have hopefully have people say that you were, at best, an inefficient use of space instead of a waste of space, uh, that I was a good person. 
Uh, I'm supposed to feel validated about working, but I don't. I feel tired and depressed. I feel useless and that everything I do is pointless. I'm supposed to feel excited about meeting new people and trying to make friends, but I don't. I feel scared and helpless. I feel like it's not worth the risk or effort. I'm supposed to feel excited about going to college, but I don't. Um, I feel frightened and hollow. I'm working at getting a second degree after failing to find anything other than a part-time job as a security guard that I cowardly and selfishly quit after just one week, but it just feels like putting off the inevitable. I don't see how I'm going to do any better this time, and I don't see how I'm ever going to get out of this hole I dug for myself. You know, as I say at the top of the survey, I am not a professional, but my God, if that doesn't sound like clinical depression and anxiety to me, I don't know what does. And that is how I felt before I got help. And I encourage you to go talk to a therapist or a psychiatrist because there's a good chance that um, some meds could help with that or some talk therapy or something. Um, sending you some love, Blue Falcon. This is also from the, sh- the uh, Shouldn't Feel This Way survey uh, filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Belle. She's straight in her 40s. What would you like people to say you, about you at your funeral? I wish I could look half as good as she does, even in death. How does writing that make you feel? Vain and utterly superficial. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? Go back to when my parents were kids. Boy, a lot of us say that too. That's a really, really common um, desire is to see what our parents were like and what we were like as kids. Uh, I'm supposed to be happy that I have a job and work with very nice people, but I don't. I feel envious and less than when I'm around other people. How does it make you feel to write that out? It would only feel okay if other people can relate and helps them feel better. Oh my God, there are so many people that feel that way. So many people feel that way. Um, Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? No, but I do think I take it to the extreme with knowing other people feel the same way, make you feel better about yourself, yes, exclamation point, to which I say, you are not alone, exclamation point. This is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by Christina, and uh, she writes, I remember when I was 23, I was a new mom and worked full-time. I went to a Christmas party after work, but because I commuted into the city, I didn't stay long because I wanted to get home to my daughter. When I came home, my husband at the time told me she was missing me because she kept looking at the door. I remember her lying down in my bed next to me and talking to her and playing one of her favorite lullabies. She had such a huge smile on her face. She looked so happy that her mama was home. Then she fell asleep. One of the most beautiful moments in my life. I love that. Thank you for that. I wanted to read these next three in a row because... All three are teenage girls, and I just I know, something in me was just like I, I, I think, I think it would help all three of them to to hear um, that other teenage girls feel the way they do, even if their issues may be a little bit different. The first one is from a girl who calls herself uh, "I lost myself in translation." Um, and she's gay, and what would you like people to say about your your funeral? funeral? She was brave. She tried. She really did. The demons were stronger than her. How does writing that make you feel? Scared. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would watch myself in my time before I came out. I would watch the first time I self-harmed to see why I did it. 
I'm supposed to feel pride about my sexuality, but I don't. I feel like I should change it. I'm supposed to feel hate at the person who emotionally abused me, but I don't. I feel sad that we aren't together. I'm supposed to feel happy about a month free from self-harm, but I don't. I feel upset that I think about it constantly. I'm supposed to feel confident about my sexuality, but I don't. I feel confused about who I actually am. I'm supposed to feel thankful that I survived two suicide attempts, but I don't. I wonder why. What am I meant to do now? How does it make you feel to write your feelings out? It's cathartic, but I'm scared because I didn't realize all of them before. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Somewhat. There's so much stigma around mental health. Even people who I know also struggled with the same addictions aren't open with me about what they went through. Um, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better? No, I wouldn't wish my experiences and the feelings that come with them on anyone. Well, sending you a hug. And uh, yeah, there is still a lot of stigma around mental health. And um, people do get more open about stuff the older they get. I think it can be really hard at, at that age. This is the second one filled out by um, Tetra, who is straight. And as I said, these are all uh, teenage girls. Uh, what would you like people to say at your funeral? She was kind and wasn't a failure. Uh, how does writing that make you feel? Uh, that it's a load of bullshit. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would go back in time to try to pinpoint exactly when I became so messed up. I'm supposed to feel that my life has some kind of worth, but I don't. I feel like I'm just a burden on everyone around me. I'm supposed to feel that people care about me, but I don't. I feel that everyone around me just puts up with me and they say what they really think when I'm not around. I'm supposed to feel excited about getting an interview for university, but I don't. I feel scared that I'm not going to like it and drop out again. How does it make you feel to write this out? Like I'm an unlovable disappointment and waste of space. Uh, maybe you you could rent a, a space with that other guy with Blue Falcon. And uh, now I'm feeling bad that I'm cracking jokes in, in the middle of you pouring your heart out. I can't resist a joke, though. Um, you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? My rational brain says no, but I can't help feeling that I am. Uh, would, no, other, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better? I'm not sure. Well, sending you a, a, a hug, Tetra, and... It, it gets better. It really does get better, especially if you ask for help. And this last one was filled out by um, a girl who calls herself Pikachu. And she is um, 17. And she's straight. What would you like people to say at your funeral? I want them to miss me. How does writing that make you feel? Sad, because I know no one will miss me. The world will be better off with me dead. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I don't know. I'm supposed to feel excited about turning 18, but I don't. I feel sad and scared. I'm supposed to feel sad about people dying, but I don't. I feel empty and uncaring. I have experienced that so many times in my life where I'm like, why am I not crying? Why do I just feel numb? Um, how, does, how does it make you feel uh, to write that out? Sad, but relieved to get them out. You think you're abnormal? Yes, definitely. Normal people don't hate everyone. Normal people are capable of love. Um, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better? Not really. No. That sounds like you're in a lot of pain. And I just want to send you some love. All three, all three of you is. This is a awfulsome moment filled out by uh, my friend Tim Clue. I can't imagine that somebody would have come up with the fake name Tim Clue. 
uh, and it's, he's in the age range that uh, that I'm thinking of. He's, uh, he's in his 50s. And uh, he writes, on Thanksgiving Day two years ago, I had gone through some early hip surgery. I was using some Viagra to get back in the game, so to speak. I left some packets on my desk and a bowl of random clutter. You know, flash drives, rubber band, post-it notes, and sure, a packet of Viagra. My wife and I invented friends over that night. Kids, of course, were part of this gathering. I had child-proofed downstairs, I thought, and as you might guess, a three-year-old boy thought the Viagra were blue M&Ms or candy and cracked open a packet that I had yet to pry open. He broke it open like it was a packet of nerds and unfortunately tried to chew on it and mostly found it not to his liking. Nonetheless, some found its way down, and sure enough, his older sister told his mom, and because she, at the time, was unaware exactly what it was her child attempted to digest, she was freaking out. I tried to whisper to my wife what it was, but at the time, I was on the phone talking to Poison Control. Poison Control assured me that uh, he was in no danger and should eat some bread and then go hit the bars. (laughs) Tim is a uh, a stand-up comedian, by the way. Uh, I think he still does it. Just as I was hanging up the phone to tell me, uh, tell my wife and her friend the good news, a Chicago fire truck pulls up to my house and in walk some of Chicago's finest. Big coats, hats, medical equipment. They asked what happened. Uh, and I kid you not, as loud as you could say it, in front of in-laws, new friends, old friends, and friends I would never care to see again, the mother shouted, my son swallowed that guy's Viagra. Help him now. Oh God, how things slowed. I have forever, uh, I forever have every person's reaction in the room permanently watermarked in my brain. Seeing the firemen's faces were the worst. I knew immediately this would be a story that they would tell for years and years. Thank you for that, Tim. Uh, also, one of my favorite memories of Tim we was, um, actually, he told me the story. I wasn't there, but Tim, we used to joke, Tim was a, a bit clumsy. And um, he was opening for a band one time, and like 30 times before he went on, they said, whatever you do, don't fuck with the band's equipment because the band was all set up. He goes out there. The lights are really bright. And he got a big laugh before his closer. And so he was like, oh, I should close on that. And so he hurriedly said, thank you, good night. And he started to walk off stage. <laughs> and he stepped right through the speaker, of the band speaker, and then pulled back from it and fell off the front of the stage onto uh the drinks on a people's table right in the front row. And the guy the guy paid him and said, just get out of here before the band gets here. I'm sure Tim doesn't mind me telling that story. Uh, this is from the Body Shame survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Short Fuse. And uh, what do you like or dislike about your body? My height. I was bullied for several for several reasons through grade school, but height was one of the consistent ones. To this day, I'm only somewhat shorter than average, but I still have a short fuse when it comes to my height. This can be very confusing for my friends and family, since I'm usually very laid back and able to laugh at myself. When I was a child, violence was the only way I was able to make the bullying stop. To this day, I feel incredibly violent urges whenever someone brings up my height, even if they don't mean to cause offense or are a close friend. 
Clearly, this is not healthy, and I never act on these impulses, but I feel this problem is too petty to seek help for. And that's why I wanted to read this survey, is because that is not too petty. Nothing is too petty to seek therapy for. If it is bothering us, it, it automatically qualifies as something that is valid to seek therapy for. So, And oftentimes, it's related to something that's buried. So um, I encourage you, go uh, go talk to someone. Um, but for God's sake, don't join a basketball league. Couldn't resist. Could not resist. You should listen to the, uh, in all seriousness, you should listen to the episode with Murph. Um, I think it was the fourth episode we ever did. And he's a friend of mine who, who that's how he reacted um, growing up, was with violence. And uh, Murph is also short of uh, stature. This is from the Awfulsome Moments. And... Um, filled out by a woman who calls herself Salad Monster. And she writes, and this is a hard one to, to read because it's mostly awful and just a glimmer of awfulsome in there, just a, a fucking sliver of it. But, you know, people fill these out as awfulsome, so they're clearly able to laugh at themselves, so I shouldn't feel bad that they're, the sickness or the absurdity is to the point of laughter, but she writes, when I was eight, my female babysitter made out with me, put multicolored cake sprinkles on her nipples and made me lick them off. I was a chubby kid, so maybe she thought incorporating empty calories would make me forget all about the molesty part. Oh, I'm so glad that I don't do this show for uh, a corporation. The, the, the show would be about two minutes long. This is from my first day in therapy survey. This is filled out by a woman who's uh, between 18 and 25. What brought you to therapy? An eating disorder brought me, and I discovered uh, anxiety, depression, and OCD. Any fears associated with therapy, uh, starting it? The therapist is thinking something along the lines of, oh my gosh, something this benign upsets you so much? Get over it and rolls your eyes. Did any of those fears come true? I have no way to prove or disprove my fear since I cannot read minds. Um, or maybe put one of those turbans on and get a crystal ball. Um, what's worked best for you in therapy? Homework. My therapist gaining my trust, her honesty, and uh, very concrete skills. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? Sometimes she seems really weird and other times she seems really normal. Also, I have implicitly picked up on what her insecurities and issues are. For example, one therapist always seems to ask for my approval or impress me with therapist-related accomplishments. I have interpreted it as she is insecure about her ability as a therapist, even though she is a good one. Well, remember, you know, there are people too. Um, although there are a couple of them are robots. I forgot to mention that. That is a part of the... Um, I just drew a blank. I don't know. I was going to do some hokey conspiracy theory network and I just gave up. You feel like you can be completely honest with your therapist. I am always honest because why waste my money with therapy? I I just want to high five you for saying that because I was the same way and it kills me when I see people that hold stuff back because they're afraid of looking bad in front of their therapist. Um, and it's not looking bad. Your therapist wants stuff that is gives them something to work with. Um, Continuing, it is very hard, though, because I'm generally not an open book, and sometimes things are really embarrassing or shameful. 
And I also got to say, when you share something embarrassing or shameful with the therapist and you get through it and you see that they don't mock you or they don't recoil, um, it's like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Um, anything you'd like to share with therapists? Please remember I'm a normal person with a few issues on the side, not a case. I have anorexia, but I hate being called anorexic because I am first and foremost a person and not an illness. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Brave Girl Living. She is straight in her 30s, um, although she qualifies, I've hooked up with girls as a consenting adult and really enjoy boobs. Um, she was the victim of sexual abuse, one she reported, one she didn't. Um, she writes, my uncle allowed my female cousin and I to look at his porn at age 10. Uh, reported it to my parents, but no action was taken uh, against my abuse, though my cousin was pulled out of the house because he had been abusing her. We never spoke of it again. My teenage male cousin coerced me into sitting on his lap and making out with him at age nine. Reported to my parents, but no action was taken other than handing him off to his parents for reprimanding. We never spoke of it again. On two different occasions as a child between nine and 11, I was encouraged to make out with and by two other girls my same age. In retrospect, um, it's apparent they had been abused themselves. Reported to my parents, who stopped the incidents, but we never spoke of it again. As an adult, I was fooling around with a guy, told him I didn't want to have sex, but he penetrated me anyway, though he stopped as soon as I realized he was in me and fought him off. Never reported it because I didn't see it as assault since he stopped and apologized. Um, never been physically abused, been emotionally abused. My parents were highly emotionally neglectful and controlling, shaming, and judgmental. Other than that, they were great. Uh, any positive experiences with your abusers? I try to remind myself that my parents did their best. They did better than their parents did for them. They never intended emotional trauma for me and that they love me. But I feel displaced, neglected, not good enough, sinful, and shamed because of them daily. Still. Darkest thoughts. Abandoning my life. Walking away from it all. Going out of state or country without a trace and starting over. But it would mean leaving my children, and so I stay and always will. I sometimes think about them perishing in a car accident when they are with my ex. I picture and feel the pain experienced from that and then imagine disappearing from my extended family afterwards and never having to prove myself to them ever again. I wonder about just never worrying about proving yourself to them and not worrying about the other stuff, you know? We don't have to abandon our lives to, to stop proving ourselves to others. Darkest Secrets. Actually, I'm pretty sure I told someone or another about everything I've done or that has been done to me. I challenge myself to be as honest, as vulnerable, whenever possible and appropriate. And it has only shown me that all humans have similar experiences and feelings as I do. Uh, though it is scary as fuck and not everyone can handle it all the time. And I've had people walk away from me because they cannot handle the intensity. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have a lactation fetish. I have breastfed three children and loved having my partner suck on my lactating tits during sex. I've told a couple people uh, of this before, but it is the sexual fantasy that I am most shy about admitting. Um, 
What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my mom how her and my father's choices and actions have damaged and hurt me. But I do not tell her because I am trying to focus on finding some kind of mutual ground and balance with her for moving forward and not digging up the past. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be free from urges to self-injure and free from the temptation to restrict my intake um, slash eating disorder. I am a ways into recovery for both, but I am tired of the urges, temptation, and strong desire to relapse. You know, I, I wonder if it wouldn't relieve the pressure on those those things, assuming that you're in some type of recovery for those and going to support groups. I, I wonder if it wouldn't help to work on the worrying about the pleasing of other people, because um, I, I think that can be a real trigger sometimes. Um, it's uh, often like the things that we don't confront outside of our addictions, bring our addictions closer to us. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? The running away stuff, I, I don't and have not shared openly with anyone. Admitting that is a challenge for me, but sure, it helps me feel more confident that my feelings are just feelings and they're normal and justified. It is my choices and actions in dealing with them that matter. And she loved the episode of the Reader Confessions, which I love hearing because I love doing those, but I sometimes feel like people are uh, not bored by them, but they find it monotonous. This is... I'm going to skip this one. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself... uh, C-H-Y-M-E-I-S I guess that would be pronounced chemist um, chemist he's a Jewish chemist he is straight in his 20s and um, deepest darkest secrets I often think of having sex with some of my female students. I'm a college professor. In the middle of class is punishment for answering a question wrong. Uh, I want to blow up every creationist museum. Herbert. Herbert. My dog Herbert has has decided, one of my dogs, has decided to come in. And I think he's trying to make a bed from surveys. Uh, Oh, and it's fitting, uh, reading this next thing, that Herbert is in here. Uh, deepest darkest secrets I once made my dog lick my penis it's something I've come to peace with but it's incredibly shameful and I'd never tell anyone well you know it may be a big deal to you but your dog I'm sure it's not a big deal your dog just probably thinks of it as that that puzzling toy that didn't squeak for some reason and just know that a lot of people have done that um Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, my students. I didn't date much in college, and not that I'm a college professor. Now that I'm a college professor, I'm surrounded by the type of girls I fantasized about as a student, and the power dynamic really turns me on. I like BDSM, and the control and authority that I have as a professor is really powerful. I feel a bit ashamed for sharing this. In reality, I could never do it because I would consider it rape in most cases, as I think the power dynamic makes giving consent hard. Well, you sound pretty aware of this. And if it, I would say if it ever feels like you're getting close to that place where you're going to abuse your power, 
you know, maybe set a boundary for yourself where, you know, you won't put yourself in a position where you're going to meet a female student um, one-on-one or in a place where you would be alone. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to have to meet them for some reason, meet them in a, in a public place, maybe like a cafeteria or a busy office or meet them and fuck like a madman. I want to erase that. I want to go back, rewind. You know what it is? I'm always afraid that that my jokes are going to be, and I don't know why, after 157 episodes of this podcast, why I think you're going to think my jokes are mean-spirited. It's probably, I'm probably doing more harm by all the apologizing for my jokes than I could ever do by doing the worst joke ever. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled up by a guy who calls himself Sweet Teeth. I like that name. Um, He is pansexual in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it, and also some stuff stuff happened, but he doesn't know if it counts. He writes, kind of raped. She was 17 and got me, a 14-year-old, very drunk. I am certain I wouldn't have done this sober, and it has kind of fucked with my life so far, and it's still pretty fresh. Um, he's been physically and emotionally abused. I was very bullied growing up, and people only stopped because I hurt them back, mainly physically. Um, any positive experiences with abusers? Many people who have hurt me were my friends or people I trusted. It makes me want to forgive them. Darkest thoughts. Occasionally I think about just beating the ever-loving shit out of people. Like not just that I want to hurt them, but I plan exactly out how I would do it based on my knowledge of them. Darkest secrets. I've taken more drugs in seven years than most people do in their lives. Uh, I've beaten people up for drugs, stolen them from people in hospitals. I consistently cheat on partners. I have a great many psychopathic tendencies. I self-harm and take ridiculous risks. And by the way, many of those are common for victims of sexual abuse. And I really encourage you to, the first thing I think to maybe try to deal with is the um, abusing the drugs. Because if that doesn't get under control, it's almost impossible to to deal with any of the emotional trauma underneath that. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful. Uh, anything and everything, I want to do it all. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Please die. You probably can't fathom the ways you've fucked up my life to the brink of annihilation. I hope you have an unpleasant life. I think saying this and having a conversation would allow some closure. What, if anything, do you wish for? A wife or husband, maybe children, and a steady legal job. Have you shared this with others? Three people. The first told me to suck it up. Uh, Fuck that person. The second person was an ex-girlfriend. The third is my therapist. Well, it's good that you're in therapy. That's good. Um, That sounded so condescending. Good for you. I want to reach through the internet and pat you on the head. How do you feel after writing these things down? Anger, sadness, a deep loathing, and a sort of calm. Um, um, buddy, I am sending you a big, big, big hug, and you are most definitely not alone. Maybe um, check out the site, uh, oneinsix.org. Uh, one in six, six is the statistic of men who um, have been uh, sexually assaulted in their uh, in their lifetime, either in their lifetime or as um, 
his children. I can't remember. But it's a great website. You might find um, some comfort there, and there's certainly a tremendous amount of resources. And they sponsored one of our shows. Great people. This is from an awful some uh, moment survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Benia, and B-A-N-E-A. And she writes, when I had an eating disorder in high school, I would reward myself with orgasms every time I walked for miles and miles on the treadmill. I did this because I knew it would psychologically program me to want to exercise more. Also, during this eating disorder, the only thing that could make me feel better about my body was getting myself off. This meant that when I felt like my stomach was fat because I had just eaten, I would masturbate instead of hurting myself. It was a good system because it prevented me from doing horrible things like cutting my stomach. However, now that I am recovered, I have noticed that weird things make me horny. The other day, I was putting on tennis shoes to go to the gym, and the very act turned me on. Also, after big meals, I feel horny. I've recently realized that I wired my brain during my eating disorder to associate working out and feeling full and fat with orgasms. I hate tennis shoes, but now, just the sight of them makes me all hot and bothered. Thank you for that. Uh, this is what I want to read next. This is from the uh, Being Hospitalized survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Raging Hydrangea. She's straight in her 20s. Uh, why were you hospitalized? Anorexia. Uh, it certainly saved my life numerous times. Beyond Beyond that, I feel like it only taught me more, quote, tricks of the trade. When you are with a group of other women with eating disorders 24-7, you pick up on things. You are, of course, a perfectionist, and you want to be the best anorexic out there. You watch the others and collect their habits like shiny pennies. There will always be a brighter, more eye-catching coin. It's an epic fucking game. You try like hell to get away with as much as you can hiding food, exercising in the shower, in the name of competition, while knowing all too well that you're only screwing yourself over. Being alone as an emergency or on a medical ward is no better. Uh, all the time to dwell on the past and think about what you could do to numb the pain, the boredom, the loneliness, trying to express how I felt would only come out in rage, which led to being medicated and restrained for hours on end. The worst thing about being hospitalized is the sense of comfort I feel when recalling such a depressing phase of my life. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled up by a woman who calls herself Pencil Pusher, and she's straight in her 40s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Um, my grandfather touched my chest through my top when I was 12 and just developing breasts. He also said to me one, once something along the lines of, do you want to do something special? I pushed him and he fell. So things never did go all the way, but it was still very gross. When, when, he, when he pushed him over, did he say, help, I've fallen and I can't get off? A little joke there for some of the older folks. Uh, he has been emotionally abused. Or she has been emotionally abused. My grandfather was an alcoholic, so a lot of his crap got laid on my grandmother and myself. He called me a cunt a lot. Neither one of them that I can recall ever told me they loved me. Always so much swearing from him. So much vulgarity. So much anger. So many memories of all the gross things he did over the years to feed his beast. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers? 
there are a lot of nice memories with my grandfather. He taught me to play chess and other card games. He used to take me to the bowling alley a lot. I remember one time he woke me up after I'd gone to bed so that he could drive me around to see all the Christmas lights on people's houses. He had a really great Groucho Marx, Oscar Wilde, sarcastic one-liner sense of humor. He was very intelligent. I've been able to think uh, the good things and still feel the bad things and not have them overlap. I don't know how that works or why. It just seems to be the case. Um, Darkest thoughts. Sometimes I hate the people that are closest to me. Not because I envy what they have, but because I can't seem to get that kind of happiness or success for myself. I feel pushed out of so many relationships and so many things, and I can't seem to catch a break or feel positive about anything at all. Darkest secrets. I used to stalk my best friend on nights when she was hanging out with other people. I only did it a few times, but I was feeling so insecure about everything in my life. And as you can see, that I am still insecure. I've always felt so isolated and alone, even there when there are loving friends. As a woman who continues to be single, even to my age, it becomes harder and harder to not feel crushed inwardly by the fact that every relationship I have is, quote, borrowed. I don't have any partner of my own, so when I need a male for an outing, I have to borrow someone else's partner for it. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I really don't have any. I try not to. It's an over, As an overweight person, I try to avoid sexually related things because I don't want people to attach sexual thoughts to me because I don't want them to be grossed out by having sexual thoughts in the same breath as they have thoughts about me. I feel neither here nor there about it. It's the way it is. Uh, what would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell the last man I was interested in that if he didn't want me around, telling me so and hurting my feelings would have been far more preferable than simply ignoring my attempts to communicate, that ignoring people hurts far worse, and that I still love him. Um, thank you for that. And I hope you know you're not alone. This one, my voice is starting to wear out, so I'm I'm thinning I'm thinning the pile as we uh, as we read. Um, this one I'm not gonna read, but I just wanna this this one uh, I wanna give her a hug. Her her name is Trainer Mom Twenty Seven, and she was abused by a dance instructor, and. It reminded me very much of the guests that I've had on previous episodes, and I want to encourage her to go listen to those episodes. Um, the episode with Stephen Mancuso, the episode with Jess, and the episode with Brenda Colonna, um, who all experienced similar things. And um, I want to remind you that you're you're not alone. This is from the Awfulsome Moments survey, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Jelly Blue. And she writes, I sunk into a deep and unmanageable bout of depression two winters ago, which partially had to do with trauma I had sustained when I was sexually abused as a teen that I'd been trying to repress. My mom, who was worried about my mental state, traveled five hours from where she lives to spend a couple days with me. She had the best intentions, but as it turns out, spending a whole weekend with my emotionally cut off mother isn't the greatest remedy for crippling depression. The weekend mostly involved her telling me that I just need to stop being so sad all the time and be grateful for what I have. When you're sad, just think of the African children who have nothing but still can be happy. Bullshit. I decided... Oh, uh, still can be happy bullshit. I decided to share that I'd been raped in hopes of 
not only it would be cathartic for me to get it out, but also because I would hope it would help my mom finally understand some of the pain I was experiencing. I was hoping for some empathy and a big hug. Instead, she responded with, were you a prostitute at the time? I nearly choked, unsure if I should laugh, cry, or yell. I have never been involved in sex work in my life, and there wasn't really any reason to assume I had been. I was so devastated, confused, and hurt at the time, but after lots of healing and therapy, I can't help but shake my head and laugh at the absurdity of her attempt to, quote, support me. That is awfulsome. That is, I think at some point we're going we're gonna to have a, a, an awfulsome Hall of Fame and that one is definitely going to get a nomination to to be somewhere in the awfulsome hall of fame sweet mother of god were you a prostitute at the time you should have said to her have you always been a cunt this is from the happy moments survey and this is our last one um This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Freedom, and she writes about her happy moment. I struggle often with catastrophizing everything, and the only way I knew how to control the constant anxiety was to sacrifice myself. I needed to be everything to everybody, and if I didn't, uh, bad things would happen. This was a thought pattern for a very long time until one night it changed. On the way home... Uh, from my support group. I was thinking about the stories I heard and what things I'd learned about my own life through their stories, and then it hit me. I was not rushing home, nor was I worrying my family would fall apart in my absence. I felt completely content in the moment, so content that I intentionally drove right past my house. As I listened to music and watched the city lights fall behind me, I realized I was finally seeing I was worthy of loving myself and giving to myself the gift of the moment. There were no expectations of me or time schedule. I could just drive until I didn't want to drive anymore. The freedom I felt that night will stay in my memory forever. That I can that I can take moments to just be with myself and enjoy it. I can slow my world down and take in everything rather than do everything. And what a beautiful, beautiful one to end on. Man, I love reading stuff like that. When the, When the lights come on, and something clicks, um, or or you just you know even if it's a gradual process, and then you suddenly get their perspective on it, and you realize, oh my God, I have changed. Look how differently I'm reacting. That that makes all of the the tears and the the work so so worth it. Um, well, thank you guys for for listening, and um, anybody out there that that is feeling stuck um i hope i hope you know that you're that you're not alone and there is help out there if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for it there's so many people that want to be of service and tell you their story and feel connected to you but you can't do it if they don't know that you're hurting and um yeah just know that you're not alone And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.